Good morning. It's good to see you guys with us this morning, whether you're here in person, whether you're online. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Well, I hope you still say that in 25 minutes. We'll just, uh, we'll just let you know because we are looking at Philippians chapter 4 today. We've been in the book of Philippians all summer talking about what it means to be the church. And it's been a pretty incredible guide for us to look at what it means to be the church. Because Paul writes to this church in Philippi because he's excited about the things that they're doing. He's joyful and thankful for their partnership in the gospel ministry. And he's encouraging them to continue with what they've been doing and to also take next steps toward advancing the gospel. And he, he's talked to them about some specific things about what it looks like to be the church. He, he said that they're going to pray for one another if they're truly being the church, that they're going to, to be in prayer for one another. And, of course, you know we, we can't pray for one another if we don't know one another. We don't know one another if we don't talk to one another. So that's something that just starts, that church is not just about coming and sneaking in and finding a spot and listening and then sneaking out. We, we hope that you take the time to connect uh, with some people so, so that you can be praying for them and they can be praying for you. Paul talks about that the mission of the church is to advance the gospel. And let's just be really clear, that's why we're all here. It's to advance the gospel. It's to take the message of Jesus Christ and make it known to the world. That's the bottom line for the whole thing, that we, we should be doing everything that we can to make sure as many people as possible hear the good news of what Jesus Christ has done so that we can have life in him, have forgiveness of sins, and, and find the life that only comes in following him. He talks to the church about being present. Now, not necessarily just in attendance, but in building the type of relationships in life where you know that you're there for someone else and others are there for you. Those type of relationships, we, we really believe that the church can be one of the best places in life to ever help you find those kinds of relationships if we truly follow what the church is designed to do. He talks to them also about living in unity, that we should live in unity. And, and that's the, the kicker on this thing. Paul's saying, look, everything, when you try to live for Christ, you're going to find so many things that are going to try to divide you, that are going to try to frustrate you, that are going to try to upset your path, that you need to work on living in unity. As a matter of fact, he, he tells them some pretty specific words of saying that we should consider others as better than ourselves, that, that we should walk humbly in that way, that we should strive to take on the mind of Christ, meaning that as a follower of Christ, we should try to be like Christ, that we should have his mindset. That, and he describes that mindset that though he is God, he humbled himself to the form of a man. And not only did he humble himself to the form of a man, he was obedient to death on the cross so that you and I could find life. He literally laid his life down so that we could have life. And Paul says that's the mindset that we're supposed to have. He goes on in the book of Philippians and he gives the example of a man named Timothy and a man named Epaphroditus. And he says, look at these men. They've contended by my side. You can watch them. You can recognize them. And they've proven themselves over time. Not one time, not just for a little bit, but over time these men have proven themselves. And then in chapter 3, 
we get this really incredible picture, I believe, where Paul says, now, look, I'm in this with you. I haven't already attained all this. I'm not already all there. I'm still striving to be this type of person as well. I have not fulfilled it. I have not attained it. I still have a long way to go. So that's our picture of what it means to be the church, striving for these things. And and then we're going to take a little turn here in chapter 4. And I was serious when I said, I hope you're still happy you were here about 25 minutes because he gets real. And, and he starts looking at real words for real life with real people and the things that are going on. He, he's, he's not just talking about these ideas and these concepts. And maybe, have you ever done this? Have you ever maybe read the Bible? Sometimes you don't understand it or you don't understand where it's coming from. Or maybe somehow, I don't even know how to describe it, somehow we disconnect ourselves from it where we go, well, that's a great idea, but this is real life. And I wish I could do what the Bible wanted me to do, but man, you know, I got to go to work today or I've got this stuff going on. But no, Paul's saying this should really, really come together. And if we're going to do that, I know it's going to be hard. I started out in ministry as an intern. Anybody know what an intern is? It means you do all the things that nobody else wants to do. That's what an intern is, okay, if you're unfamiliar with that. And there was a group of us that were interns, and we were constantly, you know, setting up chairs and tearing down chairs and cleaning up after everybody and making sure the bathroom worked. And do, I mean, you're just doing any and everything that you needed to do. And every once in a while, you just would kind of get frustrated or, you know, it's just hard to get motivated to get and go do all these things. And so we came up with a phrase that would help us motivate one another in this group of interns that I worked with. And here's the phrase. I think it will help you a lot in life. You ready? It's this. Nothing's easy that's hard. And every once in a while we would just look at each other and go, okay, I know we don't want to do this. I know this is frustrating. I know we're kind of bored, but, but nothing's easy that's hard, so let's just get it done. And you just kind of, all right, I'm just going to get on this. We're going to get the hard work done because we know that if we don't do the hard work up front, then we're not going to see the results on the other end that we want to see. Isn't that true? If we're not willing to do the hard work up front, then we're not going to see the results of the things that we really want to see. And so the truth is there. Nothing's easy that's hard. And so Paul writes in this letter talking about what the church should be like and then giving the example of Christ and then giving the example of these men that he worked with and then giving the example of himself. And then he goes on with some other examples today. And this is what he says in chapter 4. He says, so... My dearly loved and longed for, brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge you, Odea, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice In the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry. Just gonna let that sit there for a minute. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests 
to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with where these letters came from or you know, what happened in the Bible or how these things came together, but with a particular letter like this, this is something that Paul was in jail and he wrote to the church. And we know from looking at this uh, letter that more than likely what happened is the man who we mentioned earlier, Epaphroditus, had been sent by the church in Philippi to go and support Paul while he was working on mission with the Lord. Actually, Paul was in jail and he was working to take care of needs. Paul was going on there. Epaphroditus got sick, and so Paul sends Epaphroditus back to the church. So more than likely what happened is Paul writes this letter, Epaphroditus takes it back to the church. And in those days, then what would happen is everybody would gather around because this letter, here's a letter. Paul wrote us a letter, and you know we can't mail it to everybody. We can't put it on the copy machine and send this out. So everybody come together, and we're going to read this. And so imagine, if you will, sitting at church that day, and you're all gathered together, and Paul starts off, I'm so thankful for you guys in the ministry. Oh, it just makes it so good. And we should have the mind of Jesus. Yes, we should have the mind of Jesus. That's good. And look at Epaphroditus and look at Timothy. Oh, man, I just love Epaphroditus and Timothy. That's great. And imagine, if you will, sitting next to Iodia and Syntyche when they go, and tell those two ladies to get along. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting in church that day going, Whoo. Y'all got some issues. This is real. These are real people. And so we, we come to this point. That's what I'm saying. We're not looking at Scripture thinking, oh, that's good. That's a wonderful concept. And, yes, we should strive to be that way. And, oh, that's it. Paul just right there. Hey, by the way, Iodia and, and Syntyche, y'all need to agree in the Lord. Because your little spat or disagreement is causing the church to drift off mission. And you're distracting things and you're taking things away from the gospel mission. So y'all need to get that straight. And it was so important that the apostle Paul wrote about it from jail and sent it in a letter to the church to say, you too need to figure this out. Because if you don't figure this out, then it's going to derail the mission of the church. Now, I hope you're still happy. But there's a truth here. And the, and the truth that we see underlined in all this is that the mission is more important than our issues. Not that we won't have issues. Not, not that this is easy, because nothing's easy that's hard. But the mission is greater, and the life that God offers us is better, but we really have to choose to live this out. And, and there's a lot of disconnect at times in the churches that I've grown up in, in the reality and the truth of the gospel applying truly to my heart and me hearing this for myself versus the ability for me to hear this for everybody around me who really needs to hear this. And so there's no denying at this point in time when Paul picks two names and says, you too 
That's, by the way, if you didn't catch who I'm talking to, it's you two. Now, that would be exciting at church if I chose to do that every Sunday, wouldn't it? Some of you would show up just for the carnage. All right, who's he going to pick on this week? By the way, the Lord has revealed. It's for, but Paul is writing, and, and there's something that's so serious here. He says, look, this is really true. You need to learn to let these things go. You need to figure out how you're going to get past this. You need to sincerely apologize. You need to have healing. You don't get to just spread carnage, ask forgiveness from the Lord, and then move on with life. you got to get this together or it's going to undermine and derail the entire mission of the church. Now let that sink in. Do you realize the sincerity and the seriousness of what Paul is saying? He's going, if you two don't figure this out, it could destroy the whole thing. So many times we have our disagreements, our smart remarks, our things said quickly and stuff like that. And we just think, oh, this doesn't really matter. Oh, I'm just going to move on. And you don't realize the damage that your tongue has done. And you don't realize the damage that holding on to these things can do, not just in your life, but can destroy so many things around you. Guys, we got to learn to have real conversations with real people about real things so that we can find the life that Christ wants for us. Sometimes I think it's easier for us to hear we need to have the mind of Christ than it is for, say, these two ladies need to get along. Because we go, ooh, that's a little personal. But having the mind of Christ who had everything and yet laid his life down as an example of what we're supposed to do, that's our model that we're following. And so we need to understand that Paul's really giving us some steps, some very practical steps for godly living in this. So that's what I want you to see, some very practical steps for godly living. Paul is kind of couching this between this relationship that he sees that is potentially a cancer in the church. And he says, you got to get these together. One of the first things he tells them is you need to pursue like-minded thinking. You need to find like-minded thinking. Nothing's easy that's hard. Because when it comes to preferences and opinions and experiences and emotions and circumstances, sometimes it's very difficult to find like-minded things. And so we need to remember that God is going to fill that gap for us that may not ever be able to be filled by another person. So if we're truly going to walk in the Lord and to be able to let go of some of the things that we need to let go, or some of us need to go on an apology tour, a sincere apology tour. Can I just tell you what I'm talking about? I used to, ha- I used to be the greatest apologizer in the world. I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> Until someone very close to me said, Lyndall, that's not an apology. I went, oh. Because a sincere apology is one that realizes I've done some damage. I have ownership in this. I have things that I need to deal with. And some of us, some of you don't need to hear anything else I said today. Some of you just need to start praying about, God, how do I need to get real about the damage that I've done with my tongue? God, how do I need to get real about the damage I've done with my behavior? I'm, looking, I'm making a lot of eye contact today, and all of y'all are probably going, oh, I'm sorry. But this is true. 
This is real. This is not... This is not some concept. This is not some feeling. Paul's saying this thing needs to happen for the church to be able to go forward. There are going to be things that we don't understand about other people. There's going to be things that we don't agree with. But we have to strive for like-minded thinking. That's why he says, help Euodia, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I even ask you, true partner. So he's asking someone else to get involved. Help these women who've contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. He's saying, these are, these are people who've worked alongside me, who've proven that they have a relationship with the Lord, but for some reason things are sideways and they got to figure this out. Jesus puts it this way in the book of Matthew. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're worshiping the Lord, if you are involved in worship and, and you're just all focused on the Lord and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled first with your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Not only does Paul say this is important, Jesus says this is important. So important that interrupt your worship and go make things right with someone because you don't need to carry these things around and you don't need to instigate these things. You first need to be right with one another Pursue the like-minded thinking. Find the place where you can come together and agree. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it again. It's hard. I'm not pretending up here like I have some magic fairy dust that I can sprinkle and go, let's all go love one another. Yay. It's hard. Words have come out of these lips that have hurt people deeply. And I've had to truly humble myself to go, I, I'm sorry. And then not only did I have to humble myself, say I'm sorry, then I had to live and prove over time that my words were sincere. You, you see that? And that's what Paul's talking about. That has to be right for things to be able to move forward. I can truly be sorry in the moment and I can truly seek forgiveness and find forgiveness, but then things don't get made right immediately. It takes time to heal wounds that I've created in others and that have others have created in me. And so that's why we have to pursue that like-mindedness, that, that mission, that thing that says, okay, there are things that are more important than what's going on just between you and me. We've got to figure out how to move this thing forward and not let anything stand before us being the church. The next thing that he says right on the heels of this is to choose joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Not rejoice in our circumstance, but rejoice in the Lord. Because the truth is we're going to run into circumstances at times that are going to make it difficult for us to have happiness and be joyful. But Paul says, lean into the Lord and understand that the gaps that we feel in our heart sometimes between our circumstances and how we want things to be or the gaps that we feel in our heart sometimes in relationships with others can be filled with the person and the love of Jesus Christ. And so we can rejoice in the Lord even when we can't rejoice in our circumstance. And I can't even explain this one, but I can promise you that it's true. Because there are so many times in life that my circumstances have put me in a dark place, but the Lord meets me right in that place and I find joy in the Lord even though my circumstances are incredibly difficult. You have to learn to lean into the Lord in these things and not just focus on fixing our circumstances. We'll talk about that here in just a second. 
We have to focus on the Lord. The psalmist writes it this way. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Proclaim his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell about all his wondrous works. Boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Now, I'm going to put a little soapbox right here. I'm going to stand on it for just a minute. I don't understand people that come to church and don't sing. I don't get it. I don't get it. Because it gives us an opportunity to just kind of lose focus on anything else. It gives us an opportunity to corporately have a same message that we give to the Lord. And I know some of you are thinking, but I can't sing. I have doctoral proof that I can't sing. I got a scholarship in college to, to play drums in the choir. And I thought, well, not every song has drums, so I should probably sing sometime. And the college professor said, well, that's probably a good idea. Great, just go be in the choir. Okay. So I'm in the choir one day. Everybody sing. Okay, hold on. Just the guys. Just the guys sing. Okay, hold, hold on, hold on. Just this row. You know where this is going. Y'all sing. Wait, hold on. You three guys. Y'all sing. Lindell, don't sing. Doctoral proof. And here's what's happened. I have been on trips all over the world and sung praise to the Lord. Because it's not about my talent or lack thereof. It's about my heart. And I get to come to church and I get to express it. I've sung songs I don't know. Just you, you figure it out. You say the word, you just get on this. I said this every time. There's millions of songs in the world. We're going to do five or six of them every Sunday. One of them you might like. The rest of them you might not. But we have, an, we have an opportunity to sing to the Lord. We have an opportunity to express joy. We have an opportunity to just let the world fade away for an hour and put our attention on the Lord. And we do that with our heart. You ever been around that person that has a song in their heart? Some of you people won't know him. Many of this church will. There's a man that was here for a while, he passed away since. His name was JB. Every time JB was around, he was whistling. JB, he was just always kind of JB. It just made you feel good to be around JB for a little bit because you could just tell he just had joy in his heart that came out, and it came out in song. Now, if I can sing, you can, if Paul can say, if God can save anybody, the worst of sinners, then that's it. I can say, if, I, if the worst of singers can sing, you can sing. And so we choose joy, and one of the ways that we do that, God just meets us in our moment. He gives a song in our heart. He lets us forget we have this corporate worship together. It's not just about coming and receiving. It's about participating and being in the church and corporately saying things to the Lord like, yes, I will worship you. Yes, I will. These type of things that just prepare our heart for what he's doing. Soapbox done. Okay, there we go. Choose joy. He tells us to choose joy. Get along, ladies. Choose joy. Now, I'm not saying ladies lay. I'm saying what Paul said. Don't throw something at me. And that was, that was almost a slip up there, wasn't it? And then he says, you need to choose joy. And then he goes on and he says to be gracious. And, and in verse 5, it's one of these wonderful moments in Scripture where there's not a wonderfully clear translation 
of exactly that word graciousness. And so that's why you have it a few different ways on your outline or on the screen. Paul says, be gracious, but here's what he says. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Or another translation says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Or another translation says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Or another translation says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Or another way, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Or another way, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Paul is trying to get a point across here that we should be known for our graciousness, for our considerate actions, for our gentleness, for our humbleness, for the way that we speak about and treat others because it matters. Because it matters. Oh, well, I'm just talking to a friend of mine. I'm just blowing off some steam about that. It matters. The words that come out of your mouth, the things that you send in text messages, the stuff that you post on Facebook, the things that you have conversations about, it matters. It matters. And what the Word of God says is we need to be known for our graciousness, our reasonableness, our lack of hate and hurt and spite. Be gracious. Nothing's easy that's hard. But that's what we have to learn how to be. The psalmist writes it this way, The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, why did I choose that verse to talk about what I'm going at? Because that's where we need to go with our hurts. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. And when something happens that hurts you, when something happens that crushes you, when something happens that just brings you to that place, we need to learn to just lay ourselves before the Lord and let him fill that gap. Because I want you to hear me on this. If you're still breathing, someone's going to hurt you. It's going to happen. Some word's going to be said. Something's going to happen. There's just going to be some things in life that are going to put your heart in a, in a place. What are you going to do with that? You're going to snap back. You're going to divide things. You're gonna, I'm in team Yodia. I'm in team Syntyche. We're just going to divide over here and figure these things out this way. Or are we going to go, hey, I'm just going to take this to the Lord. And I'm going to learn to choose joy in these situations. And, and then... I love this next one. Paul actually gives us an incredibly practical, reasonable pathway to avoid anxiety through prayer. Avoiding anxiety through prayer. He literally means it when he says, don't worry about anything. See, I'm just going to use this for an example. Some of you say, that's a great scripture. I wish I could do that. Paul means it. Don't worry. And then he tells us how to not worry. He says, but in everything, through prayer and through petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, God, I'm... I'm starting to worry about this. Your word says not to worry, so here's what I'm going to do. God, here it is. I'm going to present this to you. I thank you, God, 
that you love me and that you meet me in this place. And so I'm going I'm to hand these things to you. I'm petitioning you, God. I'm asking you to do something about this. And then look at this promise that I cannot explain. Because it even says in Scripture, I can't explain it. It says, when we do that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a practical, spiritual, supernatural thing that happens when we learn to take things to the Lord in prayer and give him thanks for who he is. He meets us in that place and he gives us a peace that goes beyond all understanding. It can't be explained, but it can be had when we learn to do that. That's the example that Paul gives us. In Romans, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. I love that, that look. Be, be, rejoice in hope, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the hope of of the Lord. I think those two things go neatly together. Be patient in affliction, meaning I understand you're going to have some afflictions, but be persistent in prayer. Continue to take it to the Lord, and the more that you take it to the Lord, the more that you will receive that peace that goes beyond understanding. And if you ask me after the service, Pastor, how does that work? I don't know. Because it says in here, I don't know, but it works. Because we take those things to the Lord and he meets us in that moment and you get that peace that can only happen with a relationship with him. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us, pray continually. That's what he writes to the church in Thessalonica, pray continually. Now you see where this is going? You have this conflict between two real people that could potentially be undermining things that are happening in the church. And Paul's talking to them saying, these people need to figure this out. We all need to rejoice. We need to take these things before the Lord. And then he tells us where we can focus on right thinking, where we can keep our mind focused on right thinking. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and have heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes to understand this, let's flip it around. Don't focus on the untrue. Don't focus on the things that are dishonorable. Don't focus on the unjust. Don't focus on the unpure. Don't focus on the unlovely. Focus on the right things. I just can't get over that hurt. I can't get over what they said. It's because you're focused on it. It, There's a simple truth here. Have a path to move forward, not a path to get over something. And there really is a lot of truth in that. Listen to what I'm saying again. Have a path to move forward, not a path to get over something. It's kind of like, I say this as a simple illustration all the time. If you're trying to eat right, okay, If you have a plan and say, here's what I'm going to eat, it tends to work. If you just wrestle every mealtime with, what am I going to do? It's hard. How am I going to get past this? Well, this is convenient. This is it. Or if I focus, if if I say, forget the number nine. All of you just thought about the number nine, okay? Because now we're going nine, 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 nine in our head. Because that's what happened. Because we're trying to get past it instead of this. 
So Paul says, you need to learn to change your focus. Where are we going? What's the vision? What's moving forward? I understand all this other stuff is in the way, but what are we really trying to do? That's how you get past this. That's how you move forward. That's where we get over this. Because when we just focus on trying to fix things sometimes, we get in the way. The proverb says there's a way that seems right to a person, but in its way it ends to death. That means when more that we try to go, I can fix this, the more we're just headed straight to death. But when we come to the place that we go, okay, God, I believe what your word says. I believe that I'm supposed to heal some relationships, that I'm supposed to sincerely sit down with people and take the time to go, I've got some things that we need to deal with and we need to figure out a path forward and we need to come together on this. Not just a, sorry, and we're going on, but owning some of these things. And, and, and I truly believe, God, that you don't want me to worry and that you want me to find joy in you. So how do we do that? Well, nothing's easy that's hard. But you have to want to do it. And you have to be willing to put yourself in that place to go, I'm truly going to do this. So I'm just going to close with this question. What's my faith plan? What's my faith plan? It's going to take faith and trust in Jesus for you to do this. But then you have to have a plan to go, okay, here's how I'm actually going to do this. And a plan doesn't mean, well, whenever the opportunity presents itself, I'll think about it. <laughs> I just put it this way. For some people in this room, it should have been so urgent that you should have just got up and left in the middle of the message. It's just the truth. Because it's that urgent to say, I need to have joy. I need to focus on right things. I need to heal relationships. This is not just something to think about. It's something to actually do. What is my faith plan? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?